Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network. By the time I started teaching full-time, I was a wreck being an overachiever. And at that point, still trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Then I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And even that doctor knew, yeah, I have migraine attacks. No conversation about treating the migraine or anything. So I just thought it was normal to live with migraine attack. Welcome to Talking Head Pain, the podcast that confronts head pain head on. I'm your host, Sarah Shaw, Senior Manager of BIPOC Community Outreach at the Global Healthy Living Foundation. I have been living with chronic migraine for almost 10 years, and I'm very open about navigating life with my chronic disease journey, as well as my experience living with anxiety. This podcast will be a window into other patients' lives as they navigate their own journeys living with chronic pain, migraine, and mental health. Today, we are joined by Bernadette, a migraine and chronic illness support advocate and digital creator who runs an Instagram account called Chronic Accounts. Hi, Bernadette. Welcome to the show. I like to start each episode off by asking our guests if you could use one word or adjective to describe your migraine attacks, what would it be? Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. That's a hard question. I have such a range of an attacks, but I would definitely say debilitating. Yeah, that's a common word that a lot of our guests use. Yes, it's debilitating. And I think it helps express to people the severity of what migraine is, because typically, as we know, we're still fighting stigma against what a migraine attack is and how people think it's just bad headache. And when you use the word debilitating, I think it helps paint like a broader picture. And I know that you've been like living with chronic migraine for a while now. Why don't you walk us through what your journey has been like, how and when you got diagnosed and where you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. My story, it seems unique, but unfortunately, it isn't at all. It's a story of a lot of people living with migraine. In my family, there's just a history of generations of undiagnosed migraine disease. So when I started having symptoms of migraine as a very young child, which was more abdominal migraine, My parents were trying to figure out what was wrong with me. So we'd go to the pediatrician. We ended up at specialists, at GI specialists, and I ended up having a scope being done. And they thought, oh, she fits all of the diagnosis criteria for hiatal hernia, but it wasn't there when we looked. So she must have a sliding hiatal hernia because that comes and goes. But really, I was having abdominal migraine. Wow. (laughs) So that was my first misdiagnosis. And Then from there, by the time I was in middle school, I was having classic migraine attacks. But when I went to the pediatrician, she would look at me, diagnose me and say, oh, you have all of the symptoms of sinusitis, but you don't have a fever. That's so weird. As an adult now, I understand, oh, that's classic sinus migraine. But then I was misdiagnosed with chronic sinusitis because I was already having really regular episodic migraine in middle school. And then by the time I hit high school, I was just having regular migraine attacks all the time, but no diagnosis. And I finally got to a neurologist at the age of 17 because, of course, my parents kept advocating for me. But when I got to the neurologist, she diagnosed me with stress headaches and didn't have any conversation about migraine disease, obviously, and didn't give me any information about 
medication overuse headache because I used to get through high school. I was very active. I had a job. I was volunteering regularly. I was a round the clock athlete. I was captain of the varsity soccer team. I would plan my day around if I had a test or if I had a soccer game, you know, like that was how I got through high school. I, I would be so tired in the morning. Sometimes my parents would have to like spray water on me to get me out of bed to go to school because I didn't have right. accommodations or anything. I was just living with undiagnosed chronic migraine and I was trying my best to keep up with everyone around me. And that's like everything was fine when nothing was fine. And then by the time I started teaching full time, I was a wreck because I was being an overachiever as a classroom teacher. And at that point, still trying to figure out well, what's wrong with me. Then I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And still no conversation, even that doctor knew, yeah, I have migraine attacks, no conversation about treating the migraine or anything. So I just thought it was normal to live with migraine attacks. And so did everyone else in my family. My mom was living with undiagnosed migraine, my sister, my aunts, my cousins. And flash forward to down the years in my teaching career, it was the fall of 2019, I would always take care of my students with migraine attacks because I could see it right away if a student was going through a migraine attack. And one of my students came to me and was like, oh, I'm having such a bad attack, but I just took a trip tan, so hopefully it'll be okay. And I was like, well, what's a trip tan? And she was like, Miss G, you don't know what a trip tan is? Are you kidding me? And I was like, no, because obviously they knew I had bad migraine attacks. She's like, you need to get back to the neurologist. So at that point, I was like, you're right. Again, I still didn't understand it was a neurological condition. I didn't understand any of this. So I went to my GP. At this point, I was probably having one to two days a month without a migraine attack. Like I was always high frequency episodic as an adult. I just didn't understand that and cried to my neurologist because I was like, I don't have a life at this point. Like it's just survival work, crash, teach through extreme pain, get through the day. And yeah, I finally got to a neurologist uh, January of 2020. I had a brief period of being a little better because triptans were helping me, even though the preventative med didn't help yet. And then I had a virus that, that was most likely COVID-19 right at the start of the pandemic, sick for six weeks. And after that, I progressed to a severe intractable attack that was completely resistant to treatment. So at that point, I had a neurologist, nothing was working, but at least I was in care. So I had this severe intractable attack where I was desperate because I always knew my attacks would break. Even if they lasted for 14 days, they would break. All of a sudden, I had this attack that lasted over a month. And that's when I realized, oh my God, mm. this hasn't broken. And it was the lowest of lows. I thought, oh, how can you live like this? I get emotional right. thinking about it. And that's when I just started researching, how can I break this migraine attack? Still not getting I found the migraine community. I found all these resources. And that's when I finally understood what I was facing, what my family had been facing. And that's what started this journey of being an advocate, essentially. <laughs> wow. Wow. A lot of like what you're saying is so common is so, so common from what you're saying about it being in your family and your family members being undiagnosed to you as a child, like living with it and doctors not knowing what is going on and misdiagnosing you as a kid. And then as a kid, like having to push through that pain and deal with like school and wondering like, well, I have to be on the same level as my peers. So I have to push through these attacks. And as we know now, when you push through attacks, it makes it worse. And I feel like too, if you add the added layer of 
being like a woman living with an invisible illness. There's just so many different barriers and hoops that like we've had to kind of jump through. And there's a lot of onus on us to like do the education to read more about what this disease is how it progresses that it's not your fault that it is not common to be living in pain 24 7 weeks out of the year and only having two days of break of pain and I can relate to a lot of like what you're saying because it took me a while in my chronic illness journey to start even like openly speaking about the pain, right? Like there's this stigma where, especially like for women, if we talk about pain, like there's this thing of like, oh, you're just a hypochondriac or it's anxiety or we're not strong enough. And we want to be on the same level as our peers. And, you know, God forbid, if we have a chronic illness, people think that it makes us weak. But in fact, I think it's the exact opposite. I think it makes us strong. And just how long you've had to be dealing with this journey. And so many people that I've been speaking to recently, 2020 has been about the time where they're like, I finally got a migraine diagnosis and getting on the right treatment. It's been so common. And I think we're starting to see in the migraine community, more and more resources, more and more people talking openly about it and breaking the stigma and also the whole rhetoric of it's not just a headache, right? Like it's so much more than that. You're talking about abdominal migraine of where I didn't know the word for what I was experiencing as a kid was most likely abdominal migraine. My stomach would hurt so much. My dad would just think that I was car sick or seasick or just I ate something bad. And looking back and I'm like, that was probably abdominal migraine attacks. What's so interesting about what you're saying too is when you're a kid and you're trying to figure out what's wrong with you and you know you're having these pains, but then the adults are looking at you like, well, we can't find anything. You already at that age, even as a young kid, I knew to then start mm. being quiet about it because you feel like you are making it up, even though you're absolutely not. But even at that young age, you then start to think, oh, I'm going to be quiet about what I'm experiencing. Even recently, I remembered this memory and now I know it was a migraine attack. I remember waking up in second grade and feeling like I couldn't move. It was like, felt like shards of glass to move my muscles in my body. And my mom was like, come on, you know, you got to get to school. And even now as an adult, I have these attacks where my whole body's impacted in prodrome, you know, and it took me a long time to figure that out. And that's what I was experiencing. And I remember walking down the hallway, all of a sudden throwing up in the middle of the hallway and everything broke after that. I felt fine after. And now I know looking back, that was a migraine attack. Right. And it all comes down to education, resources, access to education, access to doctors and people that know the short tail times of a migraine attack. And just from what you were speaking to when you were working with your students where you knew you could see it on their faces and then you were able to navigate and work with them through that attack. And I think knowing those signs allow us to jump into action and take our abortive medications to kind of get ahead of the attack. I, I want to talk a little bit about, I know you mentioned that you lived abroad for a little bit, and I'm curious to know, mm -hmm. you know, were you still dealing with chronic migraine while you were living abroad? And what was that experience like for you? 
Yeah, I've lived with chronic migraine for as long as I can remember. So my life just consisted of pushing through constant migraine attacks because this was before I was educated in migraine, before I was treated. So I just thought this is normal life, right? So I lived my life with constant migraine attacks and I just continued to perform at a high level. I had one of my students say to me once like, Miss G, were you born smiling? My kids had no idea what I was going through when I was teaching. So I would just keep going. I would get through the day and I'd crash. You know, I had always wanted to live abroad. So I had a conversation with my partner. We looked into ways to do it and we did it. We moved abroad and I was a teacher. So I was able to get a job at an international school. So a few years into that, I remember Ryan turning to me and say, well, I don't think we should plan any more trips because if we go on a trip, what's the point? You're sick in the hotel room with a migraine attack over the toilet. You know, like for him, he couldn't understand it. And I didn't have the words to express it then. And I didn't understand again what I was going through back then. But I remember being so heartbroken thinking, well, but you know what? If even if I'm out for two days during a trip, I still had three days where I was able to experience it because I just I still wanted the opportunity to live even if I was going through these constant attacks. And I wish now that I had my whole life changed when I finally understood the depth of what I was going through, when I finally understood that migraine is a neurological disease, you know, when it reframed my entire life. And it also helped me learn how to take care of myself because before that time, I wasn't taking care of myself. It was push, crash, push, crash. And my body was so past how I should have been taking care of it for a very long time because I didn't understand I was disabled and I just was completely disconnected from my body, essentially. (laughs) Yeah, I think it like goes like the stigma of invisible illness, the stigma of even for a lot of people using the word disabled, people still are uncomfortable. I didn't talk about the fact that they live with a chronic illness. I think Mm -hmm. there's like a, a grieving process that we go through of mourning the person that we once were. But I thought it was really beautiful what you said of like, I still wanted to do what I wanted to do with migraine. And I think there's a balance. Like there are things that I know that I can no longer do, but there are adjustments that I can make to, you know, still enjoy and live my life and, you know, to advocate for myself and to speak up when things get really, really bad. And you brought up your partner and my partner is a big part of my migraine toolkit of just having someone that's supportive and empathetic and understanding. Can you talk about like what it's been like to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't have a chronic illness? Yeah, what's really interesting is before I was educated in migraine, I would say there was a lot of miscommunication because I didn't have the words to express what I was going through. So he couldn't understand, well, oh, why is she dragging in the morning? Or why isn't she able to do this and this and this? What's been so interesting is I've gone on this huge journey of learning about myself and how to care for myself. And he's gone on that journey right alongside with me. So what's been great is there's just been this openness. And not to say that it hasn't come with hardship because it's been a journey for him as well. But we've grown together. And I find that to be so helpful because I even have family members that have a hard time understanding. They think, but you were okay before you had the severe intractable attack. Well, no, I was never okay. 
right? And even like you said, this term disability might come with grief. Well, for me, it came with relief because I had struggled so much and didn't understand why. And for me, it was like, oh, this is why, you know, and it gave me the permission to live alongside migraine rather than trying to push through it and ignore it and, you know, and push it away. It gave me this freedom to build and design a life that was in tune with my needs. And Ryan's been able to go alongside me in that journey and respect that and try as best as he can to support it and understand it. But it's definitely been a learning journey for both of us, for sure. Yeah, of course, of course. I feel like with anything, when you're on that journey, your partner is also on that journey. And in the beginning, I was kind of quiet and silently suffering without telling my partner. And <laughs> she was like, tell me when you're in pain, please. And she's like, I can sometimes see it on your face, but then you won't tell me that you're struggling and trying to push through a migraine attack when you really should be taking your medication and laying down and being in a dark room away from people. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I didn't want to like disappoint you. And it's come with a lot of learning curves for both of us. And I think the fact that she's kind of seen me, she was there at the very beginning of my migraine journey. So I think it like made it a little bit easier of knowing like what to do and how to navigate. And she comes with me to my doctor's appointment, which is just, it's super helpful to her to learn the terminology and the language. And, you know, it's, it's so cute now where she's like, do, do you need your medication? She'll like name the name and she'll come and bring it to me. And she's like, you're on this, this, and this, and this. And I think it's just being able to have these conversations and, you know, and that openness definitely helps with your treatment plan. So I wanted to focus a little bit on your Instagram account, chronic accounts. Can you tell us what inspired you to create this space for people living with chronic illness? Yeah, what's interesting when I first created it, I so I had this severe intractable attack that at this point I had already lived with for a year and a half about. And the first year I got approval to work from home. So I worked from home with a nonstop severe intractable attack teaching because it was the first year of the pandemic and it was that year where teachers were working from home. So rather than taking time off, I was like, oh, this is great. I might be housebound, but I can still work. Because again, I still wasn't understanding, hey, you need to stop and take care of yourself. So I worked from home that year and the second year, that wasn't an option. And in the Netherlands, there is sick leave. It's your right. If you need it, you take it. There's a system built in place for it. So that second year, I was still hoping I could do part-time, even though I still wasn't able to commute. I don't know what I was thinking. And my HR and my head of school were like, you tried to work alongside this. You, you, you're not better. You need to take the time to heal. And they're like, take a year off. Like they were the ones pushing me to do it. So that was filled with a lot of grief. I adored my students. I had, I was teaching high school. My students were in their 12th grade year. I wanted to get them over the finish line and I had to let go. That was filled with a lot of grief. I was about a month into sick leave where I was just like, I felt like people didn't understand. They're thinking my colleagues like, oh, this person's on sick leave for migraine. You know, I just knew people would have no clue of what I was going through. And I had just fallen off the face of the planet. I had a full life, not a full life, but I had somewhat of a social life. I had friends. I got this severe intractable attack. I was gone. I was home. I was barely trying to go for a walk and get to my doctor's appointments. That was my life at that point. And I just felt like I wanted to, almost like I think it, it first came from the need to like want to defend myself or something. Just share. This is my experience. I wanted 
people to just know my friends and family, this is what I'm going through. And also it was so hard to have conversations. I was so exhausted that I felt like, okay, this is a way where I can update people in one place. And then everyone can get tuned in to what's going on and where I'm at. Cause I just didn't have the ability to keep up with right. my relationships. And then it just became like a huge passion project from there where I wanted to reach people like me, people living with migraine, thinking it was normal and helping them break through that stigma and finally realize, oh my gosh, there's nothing normal about this. Let me get treatment so I can reclaim my life. And it's gone from there. And I was an English teacher for about 10 years before I transitioned to teaching learning support. So there was a point where I got really passionate about migraine language, and I still am. <laughs> I thought I was going to be a teacher for my entire life. Never once did I ever think I wouldn't be in the classroom. Like I was so passionate about it. I saw my students like literally as my kids, like I loved teaching. And sorry, I get emotional even talking about it. <laughs> And yeah, like realizing what I, I had to grieve leaving the classroom, fully grieve it. But then after I grieved it, and it's something I still grieve, obviously, <laughs> possibilities opened up because then you look at yours, and this is for anyone going through migraine, having to leave your career, you get to sit back and think, wow, these are all the skills I have. Right. What else can I do? And then you get to transform. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I have the ability to create content that helps people express to the people they need it the most in their support system to be able to get that support, hopefully, or help people understand just a little better of what they're actually going through. Because it's so hard. The migraine stigma runs so deep that we end up like gaslighting ourselves because we just don't understand that the person next to us isn't going through those debilitating symptoms on a daily basis or monthly basis if they're not on chronic migraine or whatever it is. But, you know, it's not normal. <laughs> That's my biggest thing. Migraine is, it, there's nothing normal about it. And I wish people could understand the level of severity of what it inflicts on people that have to learn to live alongside it. Right. And a matter of transition and a matter of the things we have to give up and the things we have to navigate. And I think what you said is something that about grieving, like the career that you had, and but you were able to pivot. And I think we don't really talk about grieving enough in general as a society, but like, grieving. You said that you thought you were going to be a teacher for your entire life, but I'd like to kind of twist it a little bit. You are still a teacher. You are still educating and you are still touching a lot of people's lives and helping the community kind of take not pride in themselves, but to take ownership and learn how to advocate for themselves and learn how to share these conversations like with their family members, with their friends, with the friend who maybe is somebody who's like, why are you always canceling on me last minute? Or I don't understand. Like you were fine yesterday. And no, no, I'm actually never fine. Like I'm not fine anytime. Yeah. I'm putting on this mask. Like you said, I'm putting on this mask for you. So that way I can quote unquote seem normal. But what even is like normal? Like what, what is normal these days? Yeah. And like you said about masking, like uh, I'm an open advocate and really the people that mainly see me without my mask on, it's Ryan, it's my parents, my sister, you know what I mean? It's the people closest to me where I know I have the ultimate safety. Like these people will love me no matter what. Other than that, there's a mask on all the time. Like you're not going to see how I'm actually feeling if I'm spending time with you because I've done it my whole life. And this goes for many people living with migraine disease and chronic illness. Like you can't see by looking at us all, all of 
of what we're feeling or that heavy fatigue. <laughs> Absolutely. It's something I think a lot of people can really relate to. And it goes into my last question, which talking about putting up a mask, but like I talk a lot about like mental health and migraine and the importance of like taking care of yourself on your wellness journey. What sort of like self-care tips do you do for yourself to make sure you're taking care of you? So one of my favorite self-care practices is literally just being in water. <laughs> so I realized like two summers ago, whenever I was in water, my migraine symptoms are better. And I think it's because my nervous system just kind of like calms down and finds some safe space. So it's just like finding practice things like swimming is really helpful for me, gentle walks, pacing. It is huge for my self-care, just like adjusting to a gentle way of life. But yeah, it's a lot of like soothing nervous system practices, even drinking a cup of tea at the end of the day. But it puts you in a space where you have to listen to your body and then adjust to take care of yourself right. in those moments where all of a sudden you're feeling high anxiety. Okay, I have like a toolkit of things I can do to help myself in those moments. So, you know, I take a bath, I might do some restorative yoga, I might put a weighted blanket on me. Just having kind of like a toolkit of self-care practices that I can use for different moments if I'm angry, if I'm anxious, if I'm super exhausted. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all of what you do. And I think being in the water like is, is super calming to me too. So being able to be in tune and in touch with yourselves and bring yourself down to a more calm and like restorative space, I think is crucial. And I'm glad that you've been able to navigate and figure out what works for you. Well, Bernadette, thank you so much for coming on the show with us and talking about your journey and what's been helpful for you and how you've been able to pivot and navigate. I really hope that it resonates with our listeners. And just thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me on. This was lovely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Head Pain, the podcast that confronts head pain head on. If you like this episode, please give it an honest five-star rating, write a positive review, and spread the word by sharing with your friends and family. It'll help more people like you find us. I'm Sarah Shaw, and I will see you next time. Be inspired, supported, and empowered. This is the Global Healthy Living Foundation Podcast Network.